Welcome to the Red Letter Christians podcast. This episode is from our monthly morning prayer hosted by Shane Claiborne and Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove. Each month we unite our hearts together in prayer using common prayer, a liturgy for ordinary radicals, and we pause for a little time of reflection. Thank you for joining us. May is here and we've got Jenny Yang as our special guest. We're going to hear all about her in a little bit, but uh, good to see you, Jenny. You doing all right? Yeah, it's great to be here with you. I can't think of a better way to start a Monday morning than to pray with you guys and be with you guys. So I'm excited to, to be here and be with thanks you all. Thanks for coming. Yeah, yeah, thanks. We feel the same way. We, we started doing this, I don't know, a year and a half ago or something. And uh, Jonathan mm-hmm. and I get to do it every month. We get to see some good friends and have wonderful conversation. So we're going to do a little time of prayer and then we'll have a a good chunk of the hour with Jenny just to talk about uh, hospitality. That's our theme for the month of May. If y'all haven't, if you don't have a common prayer, there's lots of versions. There's a big version, a pocket version, an app, if you have an old phone or an an Android. And you can also just go to commonprayer.net if if you're uh, new to common prayer, but each month we have a different mark of discipleship. And this month is hospitality. And who better to talk about that with than Jenny Yank. So we're going to talk about that. We've also got these powerful um, original images that were uh, made. So that's uh, Jesus for the month of May. And uh, I, I usually paint a little month at a glance. So just so you know, yesterday, May 1st was uh, International Workers' Day, so a lot of folks remember May Day, but it was also the um, the strike of uh, 180,000 workers went on strike and um, for three days. This is in 1886, and uh, there was the Haymarket Massacre. A bomb was thrown into that crowd, and uh, many people lost their lives, but the way that we remember that is by remembering workers around the world and the struggle for uh, workers' rights, so that's a uh, Part of the framework for May, we've got all kinds of people we remember this month. Septima Poinsettia Clark, uh, Columba of Iona, Isidore the Farmer, Julian of Norwich, Juniper, Brother Juniper, one of the craziest, wildest brothers of St. Francis, uh, International Conscientious Objectors Day. I bet some of y'all didn't even know there was an International Conscientious Objectors Day, but uh, we remember all the the folks who have said no to war and refused to fight. Um, it, May 15th is also... Uh, Israel's Independence Day. So uh, for a lot of people that, that, you know, conjures up different feelings and, uh, but certainly reminds us all of the, the um, struggle in the Middle East. So we, we pray for that uh, on the 15th, uh, for both for Israel and for Palestine. And uh, Denmark on the 16th was the first country around the world to uh, ban the trade of human beings, to ban slavery. So we celebrate that on the 16th. Um, and we remember Dirk Willems, one of the great Anabaptist saints. He was executed on May 16th after rescuing one of the people who was pursuing him. So it's one of those iconic stories for the Anabaptists and for all of us, really a great, uh, great man, Dirk Willems. Catonsville 9, the Berrigan brothers and others burnt draft cards on May 17th. So we remember uh, their resistance to war. Uh, Origin, we remember on the 18th. And on the 20th, we remember East Timor's independence uh, and uh, their struggle for freedom. 
the trail of tears and the forced uh, removal of native folks. We remember on the 22nd, Rahab on the 27th. I mean, we are, it's a month y'all. On the 29th, we remember the poor people's campaign on, on Washington uh, in 1968. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit as we think about what's coming up on the horizon. So, uh, and then we end May with the Feast of Visitation. Uh, so it's a great month and a great way to kick it off this morning together in prayer. Uh, just as we start that, though, I want to uh, mention that we're doing a lot around the Poor People's Campaign uh, March on Washington, kind of in uh, to, to continue to live out that legacy of Dr. King and others. And so, uh, Jonathan, you want to say a little bit more about that? And then I'll say a couple of things that we're doing this month around it. Well, what the good folks started in 1968 um, continues on, and certainly there's a continued need for um, uh, poor people to build power in order to be heard. You know, I was thinking about May Day, May Day, 1886. That's a great interruption that happened, led by workers during the Gilded Age. Um, we're in a sort of international Gilded Age right now, and there's a uh, certainly a lot of organizing going on among workers. If you haven't heard about it, Amazon workers are organizing, Starbucks workers are organizing, a whole bunch of workers just stopped going to work last year, decided they could, they, they could you know, do better than working uh, for wages that won't sustain them and their families. So uh, all those folks are organizing with other poor and low-income people for a march on Washington in D.C. in June. And uh, we'll be there June 18th. There's different uh, rallies happening. Had one in Philly last week. There's one coming up in LA. Uh, you can check poorpeoplescampaign.org uh, because there might be a mobilizing event coming to your area. But all roads are leading to DC for that campaign and we'll be there June 18th. If you want to get yes. on a bus, there's 300 and some buses leaving from all over the country. So you can go to rally.co and find the bus closest to you. Yes. And we, we, a lot of red letter Christian folks are going to meet up. We're trying to figure out a time we could do a little huddle and have a meal together or something. So, uh, but a lot of us will be there. So mark a calendar on that June 18th, right, Jonathan? June 18th. That's it, June 18th. And then uh, a couple other things that we're going to do sort of to lead up to that. But this, this, this whole movement is not just about, uh, one events, but, but building a, you know, mobilizing a whole movement. And so this month we're going to have, our book of the month is We Cry Justice. And it, uh, Reverend Liz Theo Harris, who's the co-chair of the Poor People's Campaign with Bishop Barber, she uh, has created this beautiful compilation of essays. Uh, and it's the subtitle is wonderful. It's Reading the Bible with the Poor People's Campaign. So uh, it, you, you can check that out and grab it early because it, it, it comes a little bit early this month. The book club, I think, is on May 15th with uh, Reverend Liz. So uh, and I was trying to uh, rope in Jonathan to uh, join us too. So we're gonna have a great conversation though. So grab that book, We Cry Justice by Liz Theo Harris and join us May 15th. And lastly is uh, we're gonna do a whole conversation around poverty and the Poor People's Campaign with uh, Reverend Barber and Reverend Liz Theo Harris on May 24th. So you'll see all that on our social media, but just uh, uh, that's all to say this month, we're, we're building momentum with the Poor People's Campaign. We're gonna show up in uh, Washington on the streets and uh, that's what this is about. It's about prayer and action. That's what we're about at Red Letter Christian. So we're not just uh, praying and not doing anything, just waiting on God, but we're praying and then we are uh, organizing and mobilizing and taking action in the streets. So 
on that note, what are we doing? Are we doing May 2nd, Jonathan, since it's May, May 2nd? 2nd? All right. It is May 2nd. And if you have your book or if you want to join us online, it's commonprayer.net. Um, let us pray. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Oh, Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you as the day rises to meet the sun. Glory to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Come, Come let, us, let us bow down and bend the knee. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. When I call, answer me. O Lord, hear my prayer. O Lord, hear my prayer. Come and listen to me. Rise up and lift your hand, O God. Forget not your afflicted. This is Psalm 10. Why do you stand so far off, O Lord, and hide yourself in time of trouble? The wicked arrogantly persecute the poor, but they are trapped in the schemes they have devised. The wicked boast of their heart's desire, the covetous course, and revile the Lord. The innocent are broken and humbled before them. The helpless fall before their power. They say in their heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never notice. Rise up and lift your hand, O God. Forget not your afflicted. Our reading today is from Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. And when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, saying, You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased.
Rise up and lift your hand, O God. Forget not your afflicted. Russian novelist Leo Tolstoy said this, Men of our time believe that all the insanity and cruelty of our lives, the enormous wealth of few, the envious poverty of the majority, the wars and every form of violence are perceived by nobody and that nothing prevents us from continuing to live thus. That was Leo Tolstoy. All right. Well, this is when we get to pause. We In the liturgy, we pause to pray for others, which we're going to continue to do by way of conversation and talking about welcoming the stranger with uh, Jenny. And uh, boy, there, there are few people that have done more around hospitality, especially hospitality to immigrants and refugees than Jenny Yang. She's been a part of Red Letter Christians for a lot of years, doing her own wonderful work all over the country, around the world to... Um, really emphasize this, that what we're talking about today is hospitality. And, you know, it's a theme all through scripture, isn't it, Jenny, that we should welcome the stranger as if they were our own family. We should welcome the stranger knowing that when we do it, we welcome Jesus. As he says, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Hebrews says, when you welcome the foreigner, you might be entertaining angels unaware. So this is a holy work hospitality. And uh, you've done so much to help us think about that. So tell folks a little bit of the backdrop that folks that don't know you, Jenny, of uh, how you got started thinking about hospitality, uh, but especially, you know, when it comes to refugees and immigrants and a little bit more about your work. Yeah. So I think it really starts with my own personal story, because when I think about the issue of immigration, it's not a political issue for me or a policy issue. Um, well, it is those things, but that's not the primary focus for me. It really is a people issue. And I think about my own dad who was orphaned during the Korean War and um, his father was killed when he was three. His mother died shortly thereafter um, when she became really sick. And so he spent you know, most of his years in poverty stricken Korea and he never had um, he really didn't have money opportunities. But he one thing he knew he wanted to do was to come to the United States where he felt like he wouldn't be defined by his poverty and where he could have a lot of opportunities to um, to do the things that he loved. And so um, so the fact that my my father was able to come here and settle and I was born in the, in the United States and my brother was as well. And and to be able to live in a country where my dad you know, started his own business and really um, uh taught us and, and really showed us what it meant to, to kind of thrive despite really difficult circumstances. Mm. Um, um, you know, his story has always shaped me because I know the challenges of what it's like to leave uh, what's familiar behind and to start a life anew. And, you know, the constant sense, even for me growing up of navigating what it's like to be Korean, but what it's like to be an American and, and how much of your culture do you keep? How much of your culture do you feel like you need to hide away were all parts of, of um, really what formed my views um, towards mm -hmm. immigrants and others um, as I was growing up. And I think that the tension for me came when I realized that um, when I started working at World Relief, which is a Christian relief and development organization where we serve refugees immigrants in the U.S. and do overseas development work, was the fact that uh, that in polls after polls, and even in my personal experience, so much of the church in the U.S. was uh, felt like immigrants were a burden or they felt like 
you know, they were um, not contributing to this country and um, taking away from American values when so much of what I knew from growing up was the complete opposite. Mm. And so there was a dissonance for me because I not only did I feel like factually that was um, misconceived, but I also knew from a theological perspective that um, it was concerning as well because of everything you said, Shane, about the biblical commandments to welcome the stranger. And so so it really became um, a passion of mine over the past mm. many, many years to really um, gap that dissonance, to really um, uh, try to help churches navigate what is oftentimes a very difficult conversations. And when you talk about immigration, you're really talking about, you know, labor rights and, um, mm. you know, the poor and poverty and gender and, um, and cultural identity and race and all of these things intersect with this one area. And so I think helping the church think broadly about not just political, um, it as a political issue or policy issue, but as a theological and a spiritual issue. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's, it's a driving motivation, I think. And it should be for all for all of us, I think. Yeah, it's no, good. You if were, you haven't seen her book, uh, this is uh, Welcoming the Stranger is uh, Jenny's book written together with her brother Matthew, with uh, Matthew Sorens. And uh, uh, yeah, go ahead, John. What were you going to say? Well, I was just going to ask about that. I mean, I know y'all wrote that book for the church. You've done so much work with churches uh, th- through your work with World Relief. And I-, I was thinking about what you were saying about how this is a spiritual issue for mm-hmm. uh, folks in the American church. What What are the issues that you see folks wrestling with, you know, on, on the spiritual level as individuals and in congregations when it comes to uh, the culture around uh, welcoming refugees in, in this country right now. Yeah, I think there's a lot of concerns. Um, I mean, I, I actually think it's it's interesting we're having the conversation now because I, I actually think there's been this convergence of opinion to a certain degree um, regarding the humanitarian crisis we've had with Afghanistan and Ukraine, where I've heard almost no concerns from people about us accepting Ukrainians as refugees. Mm. Um, And in fact, a lot of people were were wanting us to do more to help Afghans. And so um, that was not the case seven, eight years ago when we started accepting large numbers of Syrian refugees, because at that time, and this still kind of remains a strain, is that a lot of Christians did not want Muslim refugees coming into the U.S. And in fact, I will believe we got some letters from high, um, highly visible Christian leaders that were upset mm. with us because we were resettling Syrian refugees. And the sense was that, well, we are a Christian nation. When you let in Muslims, they're going to establish Sharia law. And mm. um, it's really the antithesis of um, not just American values, but I think Christian values to even think in those ways, because um, uh, I mean, the whole idea of us being a Christian nation, I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, right? But but um, the sense that, um, you know, we're looking at people and discriminating against them because of the way they believe is yeah. so antithetical to our, our country's kind of foundational values. And so, um, and I think especially for Christians, when you hear Christians saying that, you know, when Jesus calls us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of all nations, well, the nations are coming here. I mean, the United mm-hmm. States is so unique in that, it's supposed to be with the one country in which every nationality is represented within its borders. And so you have this huge diversity of folks coming from all over who are seeking freedom. And it's no different than what our parents, grandparents or ancestors, um, why they came to the United States um, for many of them as well. So, so I think that's yeah. a huge 
point of dissension is, you know, concern about Muslims. And then, you know, you have all the economic and political concerns about they're taking our jobs or, um, you know, honestly, they don't speak English or, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, I yeah. think, you know, and a lot of folks have pointed out the, you know, the contrast between, um, the compassion that many folks are showing to you folks in Ukraine versus uh, the situation on the Southern border and particularly with the Haitian refugees that were, you know, being hit from horses and, you know, all those images that are in many of our minds. And so there's, there's the, the, the kind of Muslim and belief part of it. There's also like a, a racial part of this, it seems like too, but the answer is not like less compassion for Ukraine, but expand that compassion, right? Like maybe this is a moment where our hearts are broken because of what Russia is doing in Ukraine. And that, that gives us a new, uh, maybe a new opportunity to extend that same compassion to other immigrants and refugees. Cause there's kind of this paradox, right? Where it's like, there's a lot of evangelicals that are very concerned about persecuted Christians overseas, but the minute someone needs to come here, it's, it's a, it's, it's almost like this uh, hard to reconcile that, that lack of compassion when they're trying to flee um, pretty terrible situations. Um, and then, but, but thinking that we care about the persecuted church overseas and, you know, have you seen that in your work, Jenny? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been so interesting because, as I was saying, I think there hasn't been a lot of concerns expressed because of the fact that we're resettling Ukrainians. Um, and it's it's alarming to a certain degree because uh, a lot of these same people seven years ago were saying, um, or even with Afghans saying, we shouldn't let in refugees. And so, um, you know, there's been incredible um, policy decisions favoring Ukrainians. And so, just a week after the uh, Russian invasion, Ukrainians in the U.S. were granted TPS, temporary protected status, which means that they could continue to live in the U.S. without the fear of returning back to Ukraine, even though for other nationalities like Cameroonians and others, we were advocating for TPS for, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, and even at the border, we have a public health rule called Title 42, in which um, the U.S. is basically turning away folks from seeking asylum because of the, the concern about the spread of COVID. And yet the administration made an exemption, a whole wholly categorical exemption for Ukrainians saying that uh, Ukrainians, if they come to the border, can be processed to come in. And over the past few months, there's been 20,000 Ukrainians that have been processed at the border, while um, almost every other nationality is, is pretty much excluded from seeking that same asylum. And so there, there are significant disparities within our immigration laws that are basically favoring Ukrainians because of the political conflict there. And what we've said is, well, um, you know, we should recognize that and it's great we're doing that for Ukrainians, but if you're exempting entire nationalities from the public health law, you know, Mm. do we really need to have that at this point? And so, um, I mean, there has to be more equity, I think, within our immigration system um, where it's not just based on nationality, but based on vulnerability. And when you have people from Central America and many parts of Africa that are showing up at our border, having fled similar conflict and are vulnerable to gender-based violence or children, then we have to make sure that we're consistent in them. Yeah. I'll tell you, one of the things that you've, um, you've done so well is consistently challenge every administration, regardless of whether they're Republican or Democrat and different legislators. And one of the things that, um, that you've pointed out, uh, 
is that some of our, this is not partisan, that some of our highest numbers of refugees and immigrants have been under Republican administrations and some of our lowest numbers were under Trump. But then uh, Biden really was continuing those low numbers until you and many others were pressing on the administration to reconsider that. And um, I mean, I remember at one point you said it li- Biden's immigration policy is literally uh, like Trump never left power. Um, has that changed? And where are you seeing some hope on that? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that um Biden is trying to do some of the right things. So, for example, with Title 42, um, he has rescinded, um, he tried to rescind the policy last year, then was sued, and now it's back in place. Um, and then there's, it's been like a legal, legal challenge, but the administration did announce that basically in about three weeks, he's going to uh, rescind fully the policy. Um, and so right now they're in the process of setting up um, processes at the border to make sure that if there's large numbers of folks that we can continue to process them safely at the border and, and trying to figure out what that looks like. And so that's, that's happening um, at the border in terms of asylum processes, which is an improvement from the previous administration. Mm-hmm. I would say regarding the refugee program, I think there has been um, some creativity around the use of the program. Obviously the program is not near where it should be. We've so far this fiscal year have only resettled, around eight to 9,000 refugees, uh, which is really one of the lowest numbers uh, Mm. in recent history. But I think a lot of it is because of the fact that the program was so significantly dismantled under President Trump. Mm. Now Biden's task is is to really build it back up, which is actually taking some time. Um, Mm. But I think his intention is there to to be able to do that. Um, And so, you know, you do see glimmers of hope. I think what he's doing for Ukrainians is really hopeful that he's offering them parole when they come into the U.S. Um, and, you know, he is trying to pursue some kind of immigration reform with Congress, but that right now is not a political priority. And so so I think, you know, there it's it's interesting because when you look at some of the biggest crises and under President Biden's term, it's all connected to refugee issues or humanitarian issues. So it was Afghanistan, the evacuation. Then it's now the Ukraine conflict and Russia and I think, you know, his leadership on these key areas of foreign policy and his humanitarian focus to protect people fleeing conflict, you know, has to be a huge part of his legacy. And so um, I think for right now, he's done a lot of what he can do. But obviously, I think there's a lot more to be done. Mm-hmm. I wonder just practically if you could help people to um, uh, imagine what these processes look like in places where a whole lot more people are being welcomed than here. You know, I mean, I think about like, like you said, nine or 10,000 folks maybe so far this year have come in here. There've been what, 6 million people displaced from Ukraine. I think there were 27 million refugees worldwide last year. Um, I mean, in a place like Poland or Germany, what does it look like to welcome, you know, a dramatically larger number of people relative to the population? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great comparative um, question, because when I look at what's happening in Eastern Europe and Poland and Romania, where they're receiving hundreds of thousands of refugees from Ukraine, I think if that happened at our border, um, Mm. how would we respond? And Mm. and in places like Poland and Romania, where, you know, in Poland, they have hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees and and, uh, Romania, they have tens of thousands. And now they're going to make up a huge part of their population, 
you have mothers who have set out strollers at the train stations for Ukrainian refugees to use um, to their you know, disposal. Mm-hmm. You have all these humanitarian missions set up to receive a lot of these, these refugees. And I think the response has been, well, we have to do everything we can because they're fleeing conflict. And there's really been, at least so far, not strong concern about the fact that there are so many that are coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet in the United States, I think, um, you know, there's a, a disconnect because oftentimes we look at the conflict happening in Central America and other places and we think, well, I mean, they're not really fleeing conflict or it's not mm-hmm. another nation um, uh, invading, you know, Central America. And I think sometimes there's this perception, well, you know, they're always going to be like that or or they kind of are, you know, it's 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 you know, how those countries are. And mm. I think what makes Ukraine so distinctive is people think, well, they don't deserve it. Mm. You know, they they didn't do anything. There's like this innocence attached to them mm. being victims of conflict. And I think whenever it comes to situations of violence, uh, the victim oftentimes doesn't have, you know, many choices in that situation. Mm. But what ends up happening is their vulnerability is what, what makes them flee and to seek safety. And so I think continuing to have a system in place that really recognizes people based on vulnerability is so important. And in the U.S. right now, um, I mean, we have these conflicts happening in Central America. We have people fleeing violence who are extremely vulnerable. And yet our, our country and pretty much the general public, I think, doesn't recognize it as, as such. And so mm. um, and so our system is set up to, you know, pretty much exclude them. And we have been. But I think Biden now is trying to figure out, well, what do we do to to um, process these individuals in an orderly fashion? And and really, you know, if we can do try to offer some kind of protection. Mm. One of the things that uh, I thought of as you were sharing um, uh, was powerful. All those images of the the the, the, um, kids uh, carriages outside the train station and people that are meeting the family that's going to be staying in their house and they're embracing each other. So I've seen some of those viral videos, you know, and uh, when I was traveling in the UK, before the pandemic, uh, I remember I, I try to stay in people's homes whenever I can. So I was, you know, in and out of different homes. And one home I was in, they had an Iraqi family um, that was living there. And that was not uncommon. It was uh, there was a whole network of hospitality houses that were welcoming. Um, uh, th- at that time, it was largely uh, families from Iraq that were coming there. But I think there's folks that have been trying to figure out, you know, we can't just wait on Congress to show hospitality. We're going to keep, you know, pushing that. But we can do stuff, too, you know, as, as families, as, as uh, folks that are trying to follow Jesus. Um and there's folks that have been trying to start networks of that, right, where there's uh, a hospitality network of homes, kind of like the Airbnb or whatever, that say, hey, I would love to take somebody in. Um, are we near that? Are you seeing some of that happen? I'm kind of thinking like someone that's listening to uh, joining us for morning prayer this morning that's going, I have a heart for hospitality. I'm ready to open a room in my home. You know, that's what Dorothy Day said. If every Christian would open a, a room in their home, we'd end homelessness overnight. So are there ways that you see people responding or that people can respond like that? Yeah. So I think what's been really exciting, again, is just the incredible creativity the administration is utilizing to help the people of Ukraine. So um, just two weeks ago, the president announced a program in which any person in the United States can sponsor a Ukrainian refugee. So 
if you apply to be a sponsor, you basically fill out paperwork that allows you to prove that you can um, financially support this individual or a family, perhaps. And once you're approved as a sponsor, then you can actually sponsor Ukrainian refugee who will then be paroled into the United States for about two years. And so um, you can do it, an organization can do it, a church can do it. Uh, and once you fill out the form basically um, saying that you can do this, then um, the process starts. Now, I think this program is unique because right now there's really no other private sponsorship model for any other nationality um, or group of people. But mm-hmm. if you are a person who wants to get together with um, your friends or your church or an organization and, and sponsor a Ukrainian family, you can actually do that right now. Um, so the program is called Uniting for Ukraine. And if you just Google Uniting for Ukraine, um, you'll have all the information on that website to apply. Now, if you feel like you can't financially support an entire refugee family, which is, I know, a lot, um, you can always reach out to a local refugee resettlement agency and and see if there are any volunteer opportunities to actually help um, Ukrainians or other refugees that are coming in. And I think one thing to note as well is that I think when you see the example of Ukraine, you do have this new sponsorship program. Obviously, there's a lot of Ukrainians that have come in and and been processed at the border. But, um, you know, in the beginning of the conflict, a lot of people were asking, well, you know, what can we do over there? And I really want to help Ukrainians. And we've always tried to say, well, you know, there's some things you can do over there. You can give money and, and pray for what's happening. But at the same time, you know, maybe our greatest sense of welcome is not just welcoming people over there, but doing something right here in our own community. And, you know, I've been challenging people, if you can't welcome a Ukrainian, why don't you welcome, you know, another refugee from Congo or mm-hmm. from Sudan that is coming and has the same needs and, you know, trying to expand our preference for certain groups of people um, mm-hmm. to really continue to have a consistent ethic of welcome and hospitality, Ooh, across, that's a good word. you know, across all circumstances. And so, um, yes, I think, you know, what's happening in Ukraine has really elevated our consciousness to understand the effects of war, but mm. the effects of war affect people outside of Ukraine. And I think if we're trying to be consistent witnesses in this idea of hospitality, then I think we have to extend that hospitality to anyone and everyone who's vulnerable in, in our local mm. communities. Mm. Mm. I think it's kind of pr- profound in our uh, current context that our prophetic voice from today is uh, you know, the Russian novelist Tolstoy, who said that, you know, we believe all the insanity and cruelty of our lives can go on and that nothing prevents us from continuing to live this way. I wonder just from your perspective, uh, can you name, like, why is this unsustainable? Why can we not continue to live this way? I I think it's important to just reflect on that because I think we just think, well, you know, this is the way the world is, but but um, this can't go on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, it's hard right now when we see global conflicts to feel like we can make a difference. And it's, mm-hmm. in the end, it's a political solution that's needed. We need to pray for our elected officials and Putin and Zelensky and others mm-hmm. who really need to come to the table and um, make peace, right? Be peacemakers. And I pray for Putin as much as I pray for the people of Ukraine, because, you know, he is a main instigator in this whole conflict. 
um, for a change of heart and for him to be able to see some glimmer of humanity in, in some of the, the actions that he's um, perpetuating upon the Ukrainian people. But I also feel like for us as Christians, I mean, we have to be a people of hope. We have to be the ones who show up in places of brokenness to shine a light. And mm-hmm. when Jesus came into this world, he came into this world in a time of significant political turmoil. He was persecuted. He was hung on a cross for a political crime. And, and yet, you know, these are the circumstances in which we're, we're living in now as well. And so I think, you know, if anything for us as believers, it's to constantly point people to a better way, right? Mm. It's to constantly point people to the fact that even despite the brokenness, there is um, mending and healing that all of us can participate in. And I think it's when Christians engage in these types of actions that we really demonstrate the power of the gospel, that it's both Mm. word and deed, that Jesus not only died for our sins, but he did so and calls us to, to be healers, to be peacemakers, and to believe that those who are persecuted and in mourning are the blessed ones in our society. And mm. so I think, you know, there's really, I think, formation that happens when we commune with those who are on the margins. And when we believe and that we center those who are vulnerable um, in our society. And so I think, you know, when we look at what's happening in the world, I think all of us can can respond, whether it's with prayer, whether it's it's with giving, whether it's with it getting involved in our local communities. I think all of us have a responsibility to do that. And it may not look like, you know, going overseas and working in the refugee camps. I mean, that's not like most people will not do that. Like I'm not doing that, but, but I think for us to come together and, and really try to do what we can um, mm. with our collective talents, I think is, is going to be what, what's point people to mm. a better way mm. Mm. Woo! that's the gospel right there uh, and you know each of us can't do everything but each of us can do something mm. and uh, especially as we remember jesus right born as a refugee displaced born in the the turmoil of herod's violence and uh it should sensitize all of us so let's mm. keep uh Let's keep following uh, the, the holy work of hospitality that uh, Jenny Yang and so many others are doing. Um, and the Catholic worker, you know, the tradition that inspires so many of us is that we have personal responsibility. If every Christian just had a conscience to care for the homeless, for the, the their neighbor, for the folks that are reentering prison, uh, we, we the, the world would be a different place. So let's keep thinking through uh, what each of us can do. John and y'all have done a lot of hospitality. You got any closing words for us, man? <laughs> the only thing I come back to again and again is uh, what what Dorothy taught us that um, you know uh, it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Uh, hospitality is an invitation into community, mm-hmm. and um, I look back on twenty years here and think you know the uh, the incredible people we've known who we would have never had a chance to know uh, if 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 we hadn't. Uh, you know, gotten caught up in this story where Jesus said, uh, I'm going to come to you. I'll come to you through people you don't expect. So be sure to keep your door open. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Well, let's close with the prayer that the Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you, Jenny. You going to sing us out, Jonathan? Yeah. Thanks, everybody, uh, for joining us. We'll see you next month. Thank you, Jenny. Jenny, how can folks follow you and your work? You're on social, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, I'm on Instagram at JennyYang318 um, or Twitter at JennyYangWR. Yeah. And, and she's on a Red Letter Christian site, too. So keep, uh, keep connecting with her work. So thanks for the great conversation. And let's be people of hospitality. So John is going to give our little closing benediction here from uh, Common Prayer. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Red Letter Christian Podcast. Prayer and action are like blades of scissors. They work best together. For more resources on prayer, check our website, redletterchristians.org or commonprayer.net. And please join us for morning prayer on the first day of each month at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. Thank you for listening.